Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. Welcome back to another episode of Harbor Technologies Group's The Perfect Storm. I'm excited to have Tim Erlin, who is someone I have known uh, for a long time, actually. This probably goes back 15 years. Um, I, I can't remember when you started with N-Circle, because that's when we would have met, Tim. 2001. Yeah, so long time I, ago. Yeah, I started with Lumetta and, um, back in the day. Boy, what was that? 2000. Three, I think so. We, yeah, I think we met when, when both groups were working a little bit with um, TCG, the Trusted Computing Group. Yeah, we, that could be. I remember yeah. the, the Lumetta and Circle partnership. Yeah, we had that for some yeah. government business that are coming yeah. together. Anyhow, it's been a long time. So I was excited to uh, that you said yes when I invited you to do a podcast. So Tim, Tim and I uh, go back a ways. Tim's been in security a long time, like myself. Um, what, 20 plus years, probably, well, easily, yeah, if you go back right. to 2001, um, kind of a product specialist for his former company, uh, uh, Tripwire. Um, he is now looking for, you know, the next great adventure that he's going to uh, be doing. Tim, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell sure. Us I mean, I think you covered the the highlights. Uh, you know, back in 2001, I joined N-Circle and sort of entered into that, that cybersecurity market. And then through I think I counted it up. Five acquisitions uh, ultimately <laughs> ended up at at Tripwire, and uh, and uh, you know recently I've I've left Tripwire and taken a little break, looking for what's next. Uh, you know, I thought this this podcast would be a fun conversation. Who who doesn't who doesn't like to talk about PCI? It's fun, <laughs> compliant. Well, really. I, I could think about a dozen clients of mine that don't <laughs> want to talk about PCI, but they know they have to. It's like going to the dentist and knowing you have to have a, you know a cavity filled or something like that. You don't want to hear it but you know you have to get it done. That's so right. yeah, so um, a little bit along those lines, we, we are gonna focus today on, on PCI, but as Tim and I just, as we're getting ready for this, um, right before we press record, um, this conversation could go a couple of different directions. So we're, we're gonna try to keep it PCI focused, but uh, as it is with me, I can, I can wander about. So uh, maybe Tim will keep me honest here and keep us on, on uh, track. So uh, Tim, at a high level, what are we what are we looking at from from a PCI perspective today? So we're in PCI version three point two or three point one. So yeah, so the, the the reason we're having a conversation about PCI at all is because they they just recently released their four update, which was March end of March, March thirty first, I think actually. Um, the prior version, or if you you know if you're actually trying to be compliant, the current version is three point two point one, which right. came out in I think July of two thousand eighteen. So it's been a long time coming, this Ford Auto update. Um, and it contains a you know a ton of changes. And that's kind of why there's a, if you see a lot of conversation, webinars and things about PCI, that's why they're they're happening now is because of this Ford Auto update. 
Well, and it's it's interesting that you say that because actually that's, I listened to the PCI podcast about 4.0 and it's what made me reach out to Tim. Um, there's some there's some fundamental shifts in, in you know, 4.0 versus 3.2.1. Um, but, but at the core, if you're still, if you're, if you're going down the 3.2.1, either you've already reached PCI certification, uh, whether you're doing self-assessments or bringing in an auditor, which is where you would have more experience uh, mm -hmm. in the big enterprise space. Um, is there, is there, is it going to be a heavy lift to get, you know, self-assessment and or audit to get to 4.0? Well, I think, yeah, the, the, it's important to understand the, the timelines as sort of the, the base context, right? Right now, 3.2.1 is what's in force. That's what you have to comply with. Nothing has changed despite all of the, the announcement about 4.0 being released. If you're looking for PCI compliance, nothing has changed and you don't actually have to change anything until uh, you know, the 31st of March, 2024 is when 3.2.1 is retired. So you yeah. have some time and any audits that you have coming up or any SAQs you have to complete, you can stick with 3.2.1. It's a perfectly valid question to say, should I move on to 4.0? You have a choice but you don't have to that's right. kind of the timeline so if if you know with with the companies that we deal with a lot of them are startups um as i mentioned too we have some fintech startups um that are just entering the the pci realm and, and be, you know beginning this uh this march towards compliance um and in, in many cases they're they're completing an saq a self-assessment questionnaire mm -hmm. where they're self-assessing and and providing that information in other cases, they are going to have to have more of a traditional audit where they bring in a third party that yeah. looks at systems, et cetera. I think, I think what I heard you say is 3.2.1 is fine for now until the, you know, 2024, which seems like forever, but uh, that's really not that long. Um, or they can move towards 4.0 and they would be, it's kind of backward compatible, right? So 4.0 would cover off 3.2.1. Well, the, the, the tricky part here is that um, you either you want to pick one or the other. So you either need to be compliant with 4.0 or 3.2.1. You can't pick and choose things out of 4.0 that you like or that you prefer and sort of you know piecemeal put together a, a version uh, that's custom to your your organization. The other thing to keep in mind for the startups is that you know if you're a startup, I'm pretty sure that you're projecting you know phenomenal growth. And that means that at some point you're going to grow out of that, um, you know, lower level PCI requirement up to the point that you're processing enough transactions that you do require, you know, the whole QSA, the whole audit um, thing. So planning ahead for that isn't a bad thing. If you're planning ahead for growth, you should plan ahead for growth in your compliance needs as well. Right, right. And actually, we talk about that a lot as, you know, as clients are staring at SOC 2 or other types of compliance exercises or attestations, um, CMMC, insert you know, headache yeah. for small businesses here. Uh, but that makes a lot of sense. So can't piecemeal between the two. But if you'd said, I'm going to go down the 4.0 path, because why implement the controls and mechanisms internally to do 3.2.1? Being a small company, I'm going through this work. It's a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, not a heavy lifting for us. Why not go to 4.0? Will that satisfy um, Visa MasterCard? Yes. The PCI. Yeah, yeah. So you're Yes, absolutely. That's the point. 4.0 is now available and in force. 
And in fact, if you're starting from scratch, I would recommend 4.0 as the right path. Um, it's not, you shouldn't think of it as 4.0 being harder to achieve or harder to, to comply with. Um, think of 4.0 as being more current with the threat environment. So right. if you're gonna implement controls to comply with PCI, just for the protection of your business, you wanna implement the controls that are more current. Um, you know, there are some good examples of, of things like, uh, you know, 4.0 includes the requirement for multi-factor authentication uh, in, into the cardholder data environment. So um, however you, you know, you define that as part of your PCI scope. Prior to 4.0, you had to have multi-factor authentication for admin access, if I remember correctly. And now they say, well, let's do MFA for any access into that environment. Right. That's a better security practice. Right. And so if you're going right. to implement MFA, do that one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We, we talk about that a lot with our clients. Like, don't, uh, you know, let's assume for a minute that our clients want to do the right things from a security perspective, and they do. It's not just about being compliant. That, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, an overlap with compliance and security, but one, being secure doesn't make you compliant and vice versa. Being compliant doesn't make you secure. So in the case of like this MFA example, better security says let's let's secure the remote access into that environment whether pci says it or not but oh by the way it does check that box too right yeah and a lot of the changes in the 4.0 update are are like that they're updates to the security controls to deal with a you know a, a changing threat environment but the reason there's a transition period is because a lot of large organizations especially have already put in place controls to comply with the previous version and it takes them time to update sure. and deploy sure. new controls. Um, so they've got to, you know, they can't suddenly be non-compliant and being fined. That's not productive for, for PCI or for the organization. No, that's right. That's right. Uh, that's really uh, important to note. So uh, one thing that I, I picked up on the, the webinar that, that, you, uh, that you guys had done, one of the big shifts, and I've said this to, to our FinTech clients, um, our PCI clients, I should say, one of the big shifts I see in 4.0 is this definition change between cardholder data and oh, I forget what you account guys call data. it. Account data, right? Yeah, that's that's that is kind of a fundamental shift, right? So it's a it's an interesting shift. So just to to sort of fill in the details there, um, cardholder data is a specific set of data that's related to the cardholder. Uh, account data is cardholder data plus what they call sensitive authentication data. They abbreviate it SAD, um, which is Maybe funny, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> you know, sad, sad. You're sad. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, exactly. Uh, but it's a, it is a, a nod towards the increase in threat activity around authentication and authentication processes. So, if you look at the market um, and the, the, the criminal market, if you will, because organizations are improving things like access control, they're moving towards zero trust. They're making it harder to, to get in. Uh, that way, you're seeing more attacks uh, that leverage things like credential theft. Uh, theft. So you'll see that in the like the Verizon uh, DBIR report. Uh, is it you know credential stolen credentials is sort of an increasing threat vector, um, and so PCI is trying to keep up with that. Pulling authentication data in is a change that that helps um, helps protect so. against those types of attacks. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm going to pause our PCI conversation for a minute because you brought up zero trust. Yeah. And we've gotten a lot of questions about zero trust. Now we could do a whole podcast on it. Can or you two, just, yeah. yeah, or two. Can you just uh, it, like two minutes, five minutes on what zero trust fundamentally is? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I always like to say uh, zero trust is not a product. You cannot go out and buy zero trust. It is a concept 
And in fact, even as a concept, there's a lot of discussion about what you really should include and what you shouldn't. Um, but zero trust architecture as a concept is fundamentally about um, changing the way that you authorize uh, some types of, you know, any type of request for a resource. So there's a requester and there's a resource. And, you know, the requester is often a person, but it might not be. It might be a device. Um, the resource is often an application, but it might be data. It might be a person. So moving that that authorization from a, one, a point in time at the start of a, you know, a, a process um, and then granting trust based on that initial authentication to um, asking for permission to access and evaluating that permission for every single request all the, in real time, essentially, um, so that you no longer have persistent trust. That's really what zero trust means. That's right. So it's it's a fail. I, I don't want to say fail close because that's not the right way to describe it, but it's it's a okay, I trust you, you've, you've, you've authenticated yeah. with me, I trust you, but now the conversation stopped or that one bit of conversation stopped, we go back right. to zero, we start right. over, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, I think of it as a, as a natural extension of, of the principle of least privilege. Right. Um, pulling in a time component to the principle of least privilege might be a way to think about it. Um, right. And expanding what those resources are. It used to be the thing you authenticate to is, is the network, and then once I'm on the network, I can access anything that's connected to that network. That's that sort of, you know, hard shell, soft center kind of right. uh, uh, metaphor that people like to use. And now with zero trust, it's more like I'm going to authenticate to every single resource individually and be evaluated for whether or not I'm allowed to have access to those based on a whole bunch of criteria, ideally, um, individually and in real time. Right. It's it sounds super complicated, um, and it's not without some complication. Right. But the security benefit or benefits are significant. So that's why Absolutely. zero trust is. And this is uh, from what I've read. And uh, truth be told, we haven't really started talking deeply with our clients about it um, because I think it is one of those, you know, a little bit nebulous, scary conversation or topics. But with the pandemic and everybody going remote, like some of these conversations are much more appropriate now yeah. that we may not be able to put off. Because zero trust really has an application in the remote workforce yep. world. Um, sure, it's it's also a conversation in the market that gets co-opted by by vendor marketing, absolutely, right. because everybody wants to attach to it. Yep. And it's one where I really want to emphasize that you can make incremental progress with benefits. So you don't have to implement a complete one hundred percent zero trust architecture across your entire environment. You can pick and choose pieces of it, uh, or specific areas of your environment, you can always make incremental improvements that have real benefit. And I think that's important. Okay. So I think that was really good about zero trust. I appreciate that. So we'll, we'll, we'll unpause the PCI conversation and go back. I mean, there's I mean, a connection. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you brought up zero trust. Um, and I think it was really important to, to kind of outline that for folks. And uh, I will say to all of our listeners that um, we will do an episode on zero trust. Uh, maybe even with them. Um, so we, we were talking about kind of the uh, 3.2.1, 4.0, kind of the kind of crosswalking between the two. Mm -hmm. um, then we moved into authenticate or excuse me, account versus cardholder data, mm -hmm. uh, the change in 4.0 going to account data. Um, there's some other core differences, kind of big picture differences, thus the, you know, the revision from 3.2.1 all the way to 4.0. Um, anything else we should highlight uh, in the PCI, in the change to 4.0? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I read through it, a, I've read through it a few different times and, and there's a, a set of highlights that stand out to me. Um, so first of all, within 4.0, there are requirements that become effective immediately as soon as you choose to do 4.0 or as soon as 3.2.1 expires. There are also, uh, I think I counted roughly 47 new requirements that are future dated uh, to 2025. So these are brand new things you don't have to do until 2025. They are considered best practices is how they label it. Um, but there's a reason they're best practices because they're- But, they're but they don't, they're not things like zero trust. You will implement well, they, zero trust. No, but they are things. The reason zero trust comes up is because when you start putting together sort of collections of new requirements, you see trends where, you know, PCI isn't saying you have to implement zero trust, but they are saying things like, uh, you know, we've updated our requirements around multi-factor authentication. They have some new requirements around uh, how you implement MFA to make sure it's securely implemented. Uh, they've changed some language where instead of saying authentication credential, they say authentication factor, which sounds more like zero trust. Sure. So you start to see PCI moving in that direction, uh, although not requiring zero trust. And I think part of the, the idea there is that if you were to implement a zero trust architecture for your PCI environment, your cardholder data environment, you should comply. Um, it should end up complying with those requirements as well, because you're going to put an MFA, for example. Right. Um, right. In that case. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I interrupted you. Um, no, we were going to talk about some of the the big, some of the the kind of the shiny nuggets of of change yeah. between three, two, one to four Yeah. So there there are a lot of changes that that are not shiny nuggets that are just PCI keeping up to date with you know language changes and terminology and things like that. A lot of changes that are that are there to you know improve the audit process, for example, stuff like that. The big ones that I see, we talked about zero trust. There's also an emphasis on secure configurations that starts to show up. Mm -hmm. um, it, it touches, you know, the MFA piece is one of them where they say, you know, here you have to implement a secure MFA and audit it. Um, they also changed the title of one of the requirements. It used to say, make sure you change, this is requirement to uh, vendor default passwords. Uh, they updated that to, to basically say, make sure you implement secure configurations. Um, and then uh, there's also two requirements around auditing and detecting the failure of security controls themselves. So making sure that your security controls are configured securely and that if they fail, you know that they've failed. Um, right. That's an interesting change. I see that as a, a sort of a, a, you know, a pattern throughout as well. That, that's, a, uh, that's, not a, that's not a small undertaking, actually. I mean, no. Right. Again, you, you could implement each of those individually, or you could sure. say, well, well, there's a, uh, these all are part of a bigger program around security configuration auditing, and I'm going to go right. do that. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, it, you know, the, the, the PCI challenges, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty darn serious for these organizations. I, I, just from, from your perspective, have we seen people really find in the PCI world? I mean, have, are there oh, companies yeah. that, that have really suffered from being non-compliant? Yes. Um, yeah. So there are. There are examples of that, right? Yeah. The, the tricky thing about PCI. Um, so remember, PCI is is there to protect. It's not there to protect you as an organization. It's there right. to protect the cardholder, cardholder. brands. Um, they put it in place, and that's the reason it applies to your cardholder data environment, not the rest of your environment, right. because they don't right. they, they don't really care about the rest of your environment. Uh, but that also means that that they publish fines. They're transparent only insofar as it it services their 
their best interest. And so the right. PCI environment isn't as transparent as, you know, um, like if you look at HIPAA violations as an example, um, because that's a, a legislative right. uh, requirement, it gets more transparency and you see HIPAA fines, you know, published um, publicly as opposed to PCI, it's less, it's more on the PCI side, it's more industry inside the industry. So there are definitely fines that occur. It's definitely impactful. Um, and, you know, organizations, especially large organizations make investments in order to avoid those fines. Right. Um, yeah. And smaller organizations, uh, I, I've, I've, you know, heard told about it, let's mm -hmm. say, um, where the SAQs are being completed and, um, it's a box checking exercise rather than a, do we really do this exercise, which is unfortunate, not, not the intention of it. Sure. Um, so hopefully 4.0 with this new, because it had been so long since there's been a new version, there has been a new version of PCI. Hopefully that this opportunity will, will cast a new light on PCI yeah. uh, and the importance of it, not just from a security perspective. I mean, protecting the card brands, uh, Visa and MasterCard. I mean, we're not going to cry them a river about, you know, they're suffering as a, as organizations are concerned, but really, I mean, if you think about transactions and how those transactions to be processed around the globe, um, there is some importance behind the, the, the sure, PCI absolutely. Uh, security model. Absolutely. Yeah. And they don't, they don't want the merchants to go out of business. They want them to be compliant. So, That's right. you know, That's it's right. not in their best interest to find a small organization out of business unless they don't think that organization is going to ultimately comply. That's right. Um, the other thing is, is that so many more organizations are now just trying to take a little bit of that, uh, overhead off their own plates are going to the stripes and the, yeah. the squares of the world. So yeah. instead of doing that, trying to do that processing themselves and getting a banking relationship, yeah. they're just handing it off and, and paying a little bit more on the you know transaction side, but saving a lot from an yeah. overhead compliance perspective. That's the the biggest overall trend I've seen since PCI was was introduced is that move to to outsource responsibility and compliance. And you know it goes down it, it goes down to as you said the the stripes and the squares and the you know the, the folks who just take the payment processing. Um, but even for large organizations, putting in place things like complete end to end encryption so that you know they limit the scope that PCI applies to outsourcing right. their cardholder data environment essentially. Um, all kinds of moves, technology and process-wise, to try and limit that scope. Yeah, and then shrink their liability. And yep. Yeah, that's exactly. right. All right, cool. So, what we've what we've kind of discussed, I want to kind of wrap it up um, on this side of the conversation is if you're if you're starting down your PCI path for the first time or implementing a new, more modern program, maybe to look at 4.0 as the path going forward. Um, because it, it will be here soon enough. And if you're a smaller organization making that shift, you know, uh, late 2023 or early 2024, that could be a, a, quite an undertaking. And understanding that you can't do both. You can't pick and choose from uh, 321 versus 4.0. Um, and understanding that there is actually an implementation um, um, kind of uh, time horizon on did you say 47 or 20 yeah that was my my rough count was 47 okay. there are 47 new requirements that are out in 2025 right so 4.0 and is that that's not going to be a new version it's just part no. of 4.0 over oh that they they roll out in 2025 exactly they're just Basically, future dated right just giving people more time to address them long story short 
if PCI is something that you think about, you need to start looking at 4.0. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Right. So I appreciate that. That was a good conversation. I I really am looking forward to our zero trust conversation down the road too. (laughs) Um, So let me ask you this. Harbor, when we do these podcasts, we always ask for a... uh, a place on the water that you really enjoy going, whether it be yeah. your pals, your family, whomever. Um, yeah. Can you can you suggest one for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I have um, I have family in Australia, and so does my wife. Uh, so uh, in Australia, there's a, a place called Noosa, uh, which and N O O S A, if you're not familiar, uh, which is a, a a beautiful beach town, basically. Um, and a, a great place to learn to surf, actually. Uh, really? Yeah. It's um, just the, the shape of the beach there, you know, makes it so you can essentially walk out into the water and catch waves. And, you know, paddling out is one of the hardest things to do. So right, right. Uh, great place to, to learn to surf. Um, and so I, I would absolutely pick Noosa. Oh, that's great. That's, you know what, that's our first Australia too, I think. So that's amazing. Um, and we're, we're about to roll out, a, I've said this a number of times, that people that listen to this every, every other week are gonna go crazy. We're about to put a map on our podcast page, like highlighting highlighting where people have suggested, like pinning. Oh yeah. Map. So now we're gonna have to expand it. To, to oh, that's cool. The, yeah, the other side of the world. So that's great. Um, Noosa. All right. So you live in you live in Minnesota and you're a surfer. Uh, no, I would not say I'm a surfer. I would say that I have <laughs> taken two surfing lessons. There you go. One in Noosa and one in uh, Manly, uh, which is you know in the Sydney area, and I. <laughs> I took this surfing lesson in Manly and everybody I, you know, we, we know there was very encouraging. And then after I took it, they were all like, oh, how'd it go? I said, it's fine. I said, oh, I would never go surfing there. There are too many sharks. But they waited <laughs> until after I took it, right. took the lesson. Right, right. After they knew that you were okay, then they-, they But they that one that, that one was much more a lesson in, in paddling out than, than actual surfing. And Noosa, where you could walk out. That's, yeah, that's great. That's right. That's great. Super. Well, Tim, great catching up with you. Uh, it's been a while, um, but more so, I really appreciate your time and insight. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, talk to you soon. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from cyber risk advisory to VCSO consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show. 